the 2024 and 2026 dominoes are already falling in Georgia. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of your political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome, and be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Patricia, it has already been uh, a busy week as usual. Uh, you've been all over Georgia, it seems, just like you were last year on the campaign trail, even though there's no, there's no at least state campaigns really brewing up quite yet. How is Macon? Oh, Macon was so good. I went to New Way Wieners. I've been told yes. many times, don't miss the New Way Wieners. Um, there's nothing vegetarian on that menu. No. I was going to say, did you? <laughs> were you able to eat anything? It's actually, I'm not vegetarian, but I don't eat red meat. I had a grilled cheese. It was fabulous. And the woman in back was like, she was just talking to herself. She's like, this grilled cheese came out perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, give me that grilled cheese. It was so good. Um, so that was wonderful. And I talked to the mayor and the mayor pro Tim down there in Macon, um, Macon Bibb County. It's consolidated government. They they are doing all kinds of innovative programs and combinations of programs to address violence and also improve the quality of life in that city. It's not conservative. It's not liberal. It's not progressive. It's just all of the things. And it's so interesting to see people who don't have to deal with the ins and outs of daily partisan politics able to just try to solve problems. And that's why I really do like going to towns like Macon. A true laboratory for our democracy. While you were out there Macon, I was was back on a baseball field playing for the first time and 20 something years. Are you okay? <laughs> I'm hanging in. I, w- I was penciled in as the starting shortstop for the AJC team. That's uh, a big deal. Shortstop's a big I, deal. I, I, I know not, that I'm from a, Little League. I am a first baseman, so I, I am not a rangy shortstop, but uh, you're but stretch. I only made a couple errors. <laughs> I, I had I, made, I had more put outs, I had more outs than errors, so that that's good. Um, but we'll get more to that <laughs> later. Uh, for this show, we're going to talk about how the moves for next year. And 2026 are already well underway in Georgia as politicians look at the next steps. Trump's legal problems guarantee that next year's campaign will be like none other. And a bipartisan group of DAs here are taking aim at Brian Kemp's oversight bill. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. In politics, there's always the next election. And many of Georgia's top politicians and office holders, they already have their eyes set on the next contest. Let's start, Patricia, with 2024 before we even get to 2026. 
Because even though Georgia doesn't have any statewide contest on the ballot beyond the presidential race, there's going to be some competitive races in the House and state legislature. And the top of our radar is the fate of Congressman Rich McCormick, who won a deep red suburban seat that was tailor-made last year during redistricting for a conservative Republican. Well, now that district might be redrawn again as a result of a recent Alabama case in the Supreme Court. And although Rich McCormick is no moderate, he's also taken some steps to distance himself from Donald Trump, who did not endorse him last year. And now Rich McCormick is backing Ron DeSantis and highlighting his economic platform after Trump's most recent indictment. Yeah, and inside Rich McCormick's district is Forsyth County, which is also one of the counties I've been to on my road trip. And that is a very, very quickly changing, diversifying county. Um, If people were in Atlanta two and a half decades ago, there was actually a Klan rally in Forsyth. I mean, that's how much it has changed now to go there. There are office parks, lots of um, Indian food, Indonesian food, a huge Asian population. And politically, Forsyth had one of the biggest drop-offs in Trump support and just generally Republican support over the last 15 years. And so McCormick is not a classic Trumper and he is not acting like one because he doesn't have a district that is that kind of district anymore either. And so um, it's smart for McCormick not to be endorsing Trump. He is not in the, even though it's a conservative district, it certainly more than leans Republican, it is Republican. It's not Trump country like the 14th district for Marjorie Taylor Greene or the 9th district for Andrew Clyde. It's a lot more nuanced and diverse. And so it makes, if if I had to pick any congressman in this state who should not endorse Donald Trump, it would be McCormick. Um, and then his poli- his own personal politics are a little different as well. So I think it makes a lot of sense for him on a lot of levels. And he's vulnerable, you know, in other ways. Not, I mean, look, the district could be redrawn. We'll find out a lot more after the next court hearing in September on that. But he's first term. Uh, he ran next door uh, the election cycle ago and barely got defeated by Carolyn Bordeaux, moved over and ran this district and, and wins and beats back a Trump back challenger, Jake Evans, in that primary. But he's, he, you know, I'm not saying he's not well known, but he doesn't have the long standing relationship with constituents that some more veteran re- Republican lawmakers might have. And then, of course, there's the specter that he ends up in a truly competitive district if. The lines are redrawn either by the state legislature because of a court action or because of a special master. Patricia, the other race we're really watching it comes from, we've, we've been watching this for a while, but Politico reported that senior House Democrats think that David Scott, an 11-term Democratic incumbent who represents a stretch of South and, and West Atlanta, they reported he, they don't think he's running again. Uh, he's denied those reports and even announced to the AJC this week that he plans to run again. They pointed to his campaign war chest. But there's also no doubt he's been struggling physically over the years with different illnesses. I know the rumor mill is already uh, well alive and well among Demo- in Democratic circles about who could run and uh, compete for that seat if he doesn't run again. Someone asked me who I think could run, and my glib answer was everyone. This could be a real <laughs> yeah. all-out battle. 
Yeah, once that is an open seat, it will be no question at all. It just an an absolute free for all. Um, there's also a chance, though, that somebody could challenge Scott. And because of the kind of press that he's been getting at the national level, um, he's probably a little bit more vulnerable than usual. Typically, he wouldn't be vulnerable at all. He's 78 years old. This has just been a persistent stream of stories out of Politico and other national outlets raising questions about him and his leadership and pointing out that House Democrats have created special task forces to sort of take up the mantle that his committee, his uh, side of the Agriculture Committee, um, would typically be running point on. And that's not happening right now. Now, uh, David Scott's team will tell you these are rumors being floated by people who want his spot as the top Democrat on the Ag Committee. It's a hugely, hugely powerful position. And, you know, they said these are, this is just kind of uh, nefarious rumors being circulated for people's own personal power plays, basically. But it do, it just doesn't help. Uh, Politico has also noted that Scott has not been traveling to these field hearings the way chairmen are um, uh, typically this, you know, usually expected to mm-hmm. do. Um, but so far, I mean, it was a non, um, there was no nuance to what he told Tia about running again. They said he is running. He has almost $800,000 in his campaign account. This is happening. And so uh, Politico reported the opposite. <laughs> so, you know, uh, we are going to take David Scott's word for it. He's always just smashed his competition in these primaries. And we'll see what's, what happens. But the, it's just that kind of press you just don't want heading into an election year when people are considering qualifying and uh, taking a run at it. Yeah. Also, this is speculation that's really been going on for the better part of the last decade, to be honest. Uh, Then there's a chance of pro-Trump candidates challenging Republican incumbents. I don't know about you, Patricia. I'm kind of watching Buddy Carter here. He's carved out a very conservative track record down in Southeast Georgia, 1st District. But even so, he could face a challenge from the far right. He's known as someone who's definitely made it clear that he's interested in running for higher office anyway. Uh, For instance, in 2026, we're watching him for either governor or U.S. Senate, depending on how how everything plays out. And he was was very vocal about at least flirting with a run for U.S. Senate last year. Uh, One name from the far right that's definitely percolated in Republican circles is that of Candace Taylor, the conspiracy theorist who waged a failed bid for governor last year on the the famed Jesus Guns and Babies platform. She's now the chair of the 1st District GOP down in, down in Chatham County, down in Savannah. And she's the type of candidate that she might not have a chance of winning, but she could cause headaches for incumbent Republicans. Oh, I mean, she already does cause headaches for incumbent Republicans. Uh, Republicans are asked pretty consistently, what do you think about what Candace Taylor just said? Do you know the lady who doesn't believe in globes? You know, <laughs> she is. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't do Republicans any favor on their brand watch. Um, and sure, Buddy Carter is is not like a lot of these Trump allies who are Trump at all cost. I mean, he has his own identity. He has his own future that he's looking out for. Um, he also has a district that is um, pretty business-minded conservative, but we do look at that district as a place where you could get a primary because of the Candace Taylors, because these Chatham County election board hearings are turning into free-for-halls and spectacles. There's just this very loud, um, aggressive, pro-Trump, anti 
COVID vaccine far right um, element down there that I would be shocked if they didn't put up a primary challenger actually to Buddy Carter. It doesn't mean that they would get a ton of traction though. And because Georgia has an open primary process, it does give somebody like Buddy Carter some flexibility in who he's reaching out to. If you look like you've got a big challenge from the right, um, but from the far, far right, Democrats and independents could get into that primary as voters and cast a ballot for Betty Carter just in case, you know, and I think we saw a lot of that happen with these Trump favored candidates in the statewide elections that Democrats and independents went over, crossed the aisle to vote just to keep somebody out of office. It's not a mm-hmm. huge element, but it's it's often enough to make a difference. And just to be clear here, I mean, even the most MAGA-friendly candidates could also get primary challenges. doesn't mean they're going to be worried about them. doesn't mean that they have any chance of winning. But look, even Marjorie Taylor Greene could well face a Republican who's trying to run even to her right because of her support for the debt ceiling deal and her alliance with the House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy. Okay, let's get to 2026, because earlier this week, we reported that what has been bubbling up in Republican circles for a while now, Attorney General Chris Carr is already telling Republicans that he plans to run for governor in 2026 when Brian Kemp can't run for another term. He's term limited. Carr isn't confirming anything, of course, but he's not denying it either. He said through his spokesman that he's focused instead on helping Republicans win in 2024, But Patricia, the fact that we heard from so many Republicans that he's saying flat out he is running is a reminder that this race is is going to be all out and that candidates, you know, these days they have to prepare years in advance to run for such an important office like Georgia governor. Yeah. And one of the pieces of that strategy to get out early right now is to signal to large donors, it's time for you to get on board with me because bringing a big bundler over, having some big names behind you early is what you want to do. Um, if you're a candidate like Chris Carr, who's not going to walk in with a personal fortune, um, as, as somebody like Kelly Leffler could, he needs to walk in with something else. And so getting out early, signaling to people, I am uh, good friends with the Kemp's and I'm running for governor and I'm the Kemp candidate that you can get behind. Um, that's a really smart play because he's going to be behind in the money game um, compared to a lot of these names that we're seeing on the list. And so um, you, it's unbelievable to me that we're three and a half years out and this is starting, <laughs> but it's all about getting out early and locking up those big names and just getting some momentum going just in any way possible. It's one of those things that's unbelievable, but also very believable, right? I mean, there's a there's a reason Kelly Leffler is hanging out in Adele on weekends and not Monaco or wherever she could be. Uh, and it's not, you know, look, I know she wants to build the Republican Party, but it's also because she has her eye on, uh, on a future prize too, I'm sure. And that's what I want to talk about now because there's risks, right? There's risks inherent with Chris Carr's indications uh, to the Republican world that he wants to run for governor. He puts a target on his back early. Every time he shows up now with Governor Kemp or anyone else to announce an initiative or make a statement of something, it will be looked at in a 2026 context. But everyone also figures that Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones and former Senator Kelly Leffler are running too. The time will tell. A lot can change, even if they're not confirming anything. And they are clearly aligned with the MAGA wing of the party. Both of them are very close to Donald Trump and and his brand of politics. 
So they're both aiming for that sort of subset of the Republican Party, hoping that it will power them to the nomination. It's a strategy that's worked before. Brian Kemp used it in 2018, helped him win Trump's endorsement. So, so Chris Carr also, of course, there's the money factor too. You know, not only would Chris Carr be sort of seen as the pro-business, establishment-friendly sort of candidate, but he can't. He does not have the personal wealth that Kelly Leffler or Burt Jones both have. You could not dip deeply into his own bank account nearly as deeply as they could, uh, or Brad Raffensperger for that matter, to fund his own campaign. So there's a reason why he's trying to talk to donors right now to try to get them on board because he'll need help from donors a lot more than they will. Oh yeah, for sure. And then, um, but you know, speaking of risks, aligning yourself so closely right now with Donald Trump, I feel like has risks. Now, listen, the ship has sailed in terms of aligning yourself with Donald Trump. If you're Burt Jones or Kelly Loeffler, Donald Trump could be indicted here in this state. Donald Trump just lost the state. Every candidate just about that Donald Trump has endorsed has gone down in flames unless they already had their own personal brand heading into this. Burt Jones was the was a real exception in the last election. But if you notice, he did not hit that Trump drum very hard all the time. He was talking about business. He was talking about the economy. He's talking about boys and girls sports. He was talking about a lot of things besides Donald Trump also. So getting so hard into the Trump lane is dicey a little bit, in my opinion. But I think, you know, the name I keep hearing that other Republicans are worried about is Raffensperger, because he has lots of money. He doesn't come off as a big swashbuckling millionaire, but he has an immense amount of money from his own successful business. And he also has this huge name ID and a very unique personal brand. He's not beloved by Republicans in the Capitol. That is no secret. But that's very attractive to voters in some cases as well. So he has this really unique persona right now that a lot of other Republicans just don't quite know what to do with if they had to run against him. So He's the name that I hear brought up quite a bit. And even by voters who say, you know who I would love to run is Brad Raffensperger. Um, Another name that I do hear is Tyler Harper. When I was in Macon, (laughs) someone said, hey, is Tyler Harper running for governor? (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know. We'll find out. Um, He is the ag commissioner, um, also has quite a bit of money. And and unlike Brad Raffensperger, is very well liked in the Capitol and really well liked around uh, rural Georgia. So there will be a lot of names that we hear, but... It, it is, to me, a sign of this huge wide open field um, that Republicans just right now have a very deep bench. I mean, this is a lot of talented candidates with tons of money um, and uh, an open governor's race is really bringing them out. We haven't heard as much about that Senate seat, uh, which will be up as well in 2026, um, mostly because Kemp seems to be giving that a hard look and what Kemp wants to do, Kemp will be doing, and everybody else will wait to see what his plans are before they actually put themselves in the same lane as the governor. And Patricia, you were in an event the other day where Governor Kemp was asked about that possibility. Here's what he said. So we need to stay focused, in my opinion, on 2024 and not worry about 2026. And so that's what the First Lady and I are doing. We're staying focused on 2024. We don't have a U.S. Senate race up in 2024. So all that aside, Patricia, 
Brian Kemp has effectively frozen the field right now, as it were, three years early. So it's not, you know, we're not right around the corner from it, but he's frozen the field, much like Stacey Abrams did a couple of years back when there was all talk that she could run in in 2020 against David Perdue. Uh, and a lot of Democrats did, were waiting on her decision because it's seen as Brian Kemp's. There, there might be other challengers too, no matter what he does. But if Brian Kemp gets in the Senate race, he's the clear front runner for Republicans. Meanwhile, on the Democratic side, we're talking about Lucy McBath, Jason Carter, Stacey Abrams, maybe in a third bid, Jen Jordan, Michael Thurman, a number, I've heard a number of other names, even at lunch today, I heard three more names. So you can have a, you can have a crowded field. But the one thing that one potential candidate reminded me is to put a giant asterisk on all these conversations, of course, because if Joe Biden wins re-election, a lot of Democrats who are now eager to talk, to be talked about running these these high-profile races, they're going to think twice about running and getting tied to, to a President Biden in a lame duck midterm. Uh, we saw how hard it was for Democrats last year in, in Georgia and some other battleground states to win when they were just relentlessly tied to a president who had a, a favorability rating in the high 30s, low 40s here in Georgia. And then likewise, plenty of Republicans will be nervous about running with President Trump in the White House and being tied to, to his agenda uh, should he win next year or any other Republican candidate. Yeah, you know, the name that I hear more from Democrats about why they're so worried about running is Stacey Abrams. Um, not that she might run again, but that she had such a poor showing against Brian Kemp. I think they were, so many Democrats saw 2022 as their year. They just saw all of the stars aligned with Abrams, who was their very strongest candidate, and the very strong bench that they had, the other candidates running below her on the ticket, more money than they literally even knew what to do with until they ran out of money. <laughs> um, and to lose by seven points, I think that has really put the fear of um, something in the hearts of many Democrats looking at a statewide run and thinking, uh, is this a state that we can win? You know, that's not the environment that is going to draw out tons and tons of statewide candidates. Now, um, those two U.S. senators are the reasons they are thinking about running. Like, well, you can win in this state. It is possible. But I think Abrams showing made Democrats think it's a lot harder than they assumed it would be in 2022. Again, another big piece of this is going to be how the Republican field is shaping up, um, depending on which Republican looks strongest going into some of these races. Mm -hmm. It looks like it could be very winnable or extremely difficult, but that's the kind of thing you can't know unless you're already in the race. So it's a it's going to be a tough decision for some of these Democrats. Get in now or, you know, kind of keep your powder dry. Yeah, three years is a long way around, but it's not that long away. So we'll keep we'll keep watching. Okay, let's take a quick break. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, an air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. Hip hop is a product of Black people. It's a product of Black song. The celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents. Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. 
We're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Host Greg Bluestein and Patricia Murphy were also two of the three authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes in the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts and get three months of unlimited digital access for less than a dollar, just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast so you always know what's really going on. Patricia, the security barriers at Fulton County Courthouse are up. Courthouse staffers are already working from home. Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis says she's ready to go, but there's still a few more finishing touches she's got to put on the case. We know she subpoenaed a handful of witnesses, including our friend, journalist George Chidi, uh, former state representative Bean Nguyen, former state Senator Jen Jordan. There are others too. Meanwhile, the federal case is still moving forward. Trump stood before a judge to plead not guilty to criminal charges for the third time in four months. Patricia, some of the six co-conspirators in the federal indictment could face charges too. This is this is shaping up to be, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to describe it, just all these different legal cases. It's confusing for voters. You know, I think they're just going to kind of meld them all together in their minds. We know the differences because we've been covering the Fulton County case and the federal cases. But, you know, to the general public, it's going to be hard to differentiate some of these cases. Well, it's hard to differentiate, and it almost makes it easier for Donald Trump in some way just to paint it all with a broad stroke. And his line that he uses so frequently is, they're not coming after me, they're coming after you. He even released a statement today that said it is an honor to be indicted on behalf of my supporters, basically. Um, he is painting this. They're, they're all for him. They're all a part of the rig. They're all a part of the setup. With so many different moving pieces, it does kind of start to feel like a big blob. Um, for Fonnie Willis, the fact that she is going last in some ways, I think, makes it easier for her if she does indict the former president. The media circus has already exploded this you know someone has already broken the seal on indicting a former president um she can now if she does decide to indict really focus on the facts of the case um focus on the other people that are more than likely to get indicted as well and kind of move forward with her head down that seems to me the easier way to move through a case but it is the just the circus around this the spectacle donald trump is able to raise money off of this it absolutely blots out the sun for his competitors. The only thing other Republicans who are running for president are being asked about is Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And the conversation is all about him. It makes it so hard for other people to run against him. And it's a big piece of why he is just dominating the polls. He is just hoovering up cash and he's finding a way to make this his strength instead of his weakness. Now, that may be a really different dynamic if he does make it through the primary. (laughs) He's going to have to physically be in a lot of these courtrooms. And then also when he faces a general electorate, if he gets that far, it's just a totally different conversation. But right now in the GOP electorate, the people who are still with him have been with him since he was on The Apprentice. And he wrote that book about the art of the deal. They are not going anywhere. And it continues to show his just incredible strength on that base of the base of the GOP, even here in Georgia. Yeah, Patricia, to your point, it's looking more and more like the 2024 election is going to hinge less on campaign trail rhetoric and policy statements and yada, yada, yada out there. You know, the stuff that that used to 
make or break a campaign and more on what's happening inside these courtrooms, whether it be Atlanta, Washington, Miami, New York, all these different indictments or potential indictments, at least on the Republican side, because while some Republican officials would love the race to be a referendum on President Joe Biden's agenda, and that's exactly the message that Governor Brian Kemp and, and others are promoting right now, Trump seems just as likely to turn this race into, or at least try to turn this race into a referendum on the legal cases against him. His claims that he's the victim of a weaponized, politicized Justice Department and that there's a witch hunt out to get him. And Patricia, we've seen this uh, on the campaign trail. We've also seen this being echoed by some of his key supporters here in Georgia. We have at least two Congress members uh, here in Georgia, uh, Mike Collins and Marjorie Taylor Greene, who both called even to defund the Justice Department because they feel they at least are alleging that it's been weaponized by President Joe Biden. Yes, um, they have. And he his supporters who are with him are with him. But that's not the entirety of the Republican Party. It's not the entirety of Republican voters. And you and I hear from Republicans all day long who are like, oh, my God, make it go away. Please make it stop. Um, they know that this hurts Donald Trump in a general election. They know it hurts all Republicans in a general election. It may kind of tighten your the wagons who are circling around you, but that circle is getting smaller. It's not getting bigger. They're not reaching out to more voters in this process. And so it also is for any independent voters. It's just becoming a lot. It's sort of like, cannot, can we not possibly turn the page on this? I will say the Hunter Biden investigation over on the House side is not helping Democrats at all. It is a, it's kind of letting Donald Trump point to that and say, look, why are you so worried about me? What about this other case that nobody's paying attention to? In fact, everybody's paying attention to it, but it just lends itself to that storyline that he's telling that they're like a two-tiered justice system. Um, that's just not the case here. He he has done things that, that he has been accused of that are criminal. And that's why these are court cases, but it's... Uh, it is just it's just creating something that has nothing to do with a presidential campaign, but it is the presidential campaign. And that is where we as reporters, but also as Republicans trying to run against him and Democrats looking ahead to this. It, it's all about Trump right now. Staying on the courtroom theme here in Georgia, four district attorneys joined a lawsuit to overturn a new law backed by Governor Kemp that gives a commission the power to punish prosecutors who are deemed to be too progressive or rogue. One of the most interesting facets of this, Patricia, at least I thought, was that a Republican district attorney joined the group with the warning to fellow conservatives that these sorts of rules can cut both ways. He said that Democrats could one day use them to target district attorneys who say don't strictly enforce gun control legislation that might pass under a Democratic administration down the road. And I think that's actually a really good point, because even though Democrats didn't have a lot of luck uh, running for governor um, the last time around, it does feel no party is going to dominate this state forever. Eventually, Democrats will be in charge. And that may not be for they may not have a 40 year run, a uh, 100 year run like they did in the past. But Democrats will be in charge of the state at some point and they will be overseeing Republican elected DAs um, because that is just the nature of the of the makeup of the DAs around the state. Some are Democrats. Some Republican. And so to have a state appointed panel looking at the laws that you're enforcing, he was talking specifically about gun laws. What if Democrats pass gun laws and DAs in rural counties feel like that does not align with how they want to spend their time if they feel like those are laws that they don't want to enforce? Um, not so much enforce, but they don't want to prioritize for prosecution. I think he makes a really, really good point. Now, we 
we hear from people around the state who are dissatisfied with some of their DAs, sometimes even less on a kind of partisan point of view, but in terms of a product point of view, their offices are having a hard time keeping staff. They're losing ADAs. They're not bringing cases. The cases are falling apart or having mistrials. It just seems like it's it's more the function of the office, even more than the politics of the office. But um, the way it came through the Capitol, it, it really clearly had a lot to do with politics. Okay, a quick note too, going back in time was just a little bit. Just got a text as we're taping this from a source out in rural Georgia who says, Buddy Carter just told Austin Rhodes on the Austin Rhodes show in Augusta, he's considering running for governor or U.S. Senate confirming the prediction in the jolt. I will follow God's will is the quote that he apparently told Austin Rhodes. So there, there you go. 2026, <laughs> right around the corner. Okay, uh, Shaney B, it is time for the listener mailbag because you can now call the Politically Georgia podcast hotline anytime. Leave a question and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 404-526-AJCP. That's 404-526-2527. Producer Shaney B, I know we got, we always get just too many calls to handle, but I think we have time for two of the best this week. I'm going to sneak in a third because an email email came in while we have been recording. This email comes from James White of Atlanta, who asks, who the heck wears a first baseman's mitt while playing shortstop? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's because I happen to be a first baseman. And response <laughs> and did not and was actively begging other people on the team to play shortstop, uh, including uh, Joseph Pap, our, our catcher, Chris Joyner, who played third base, Taylor Croft, who was first base. I mean, I was sitting there begging people. I was like, is anyone else? And because, of course, shortstop is the most active part of the infield. And I held my own, but didn't do, <laughs> didn't, did, made a few plays. I made, did not make a few plays I should have made. Uh, I, I'm a first baseman. That's, well, you're that's tall. You're that. so tall, Greg. You're so far up there. I feel like it's hard to get down, get down in there. You're perfect I mean, you for, see, you're a stretch for the first base. Good for the first base. Yeah, exactly. First, I can't, I can't, I can't do a split, but uh, but I can hold my own over that first base. Shortstop, not really my thing. So that's the answer so to that I, question. I, I don't need to start a GoFundMe page for a shortstop mitt for Greg Blue. No, because this is not going to be a long-term thing as long as, as long as I have these say over it. <laughs> but the other team was making fun of me. They're like, why does the guy have a first base club? Because I'm a first. I've had that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we clarified that. And uh, now we can move on to some political questions. Yes. All right, we got a call from David in Augusta. He has two questions for you. One, Brad Rassenberger has said that six people were dead that voted in the last election. Has he ever said who they voted for in the presidential election? And then my second question is, with Fonnie Willis being unable to investigate and prosecute Burt Jones, has a special prosecutor been mentioned to investigate Burt Jones for the collector's investigation that Bonnie Willis has been doing. 
David, so many great questions, very detailed. I feel like you really know what you're talking about. On the first question, who did the dead people vote for? It was a mixed bag. Uh, Some of them voted for Trump. Some of them voted for Biden. Um, They weren't dead people voting, but they were cast for people who had recently passed away, cast or mailed in by their um, either spouses or children who did what they thought their loved one would have done. Like it's kind of sweet in a way, but it's also illegal. So you can't do that. (laughs) But it was not enough, obviously, to change the results. And it was not tens of thousands, as Donald Trump said in his uh, phone call with Brad Raffensperger, to which he said that is not accurate. And here's what happened. And, uh, you know, as happened, apparently, hundreds of times, Donald Trump did not listen to the facts. And then real quick, it was Donald Trump who said there were close to 5,000 dead people voting. He said thousands over the years. Um, He said untold numbers. And yes, uh, you know, one of our fact checks said that Raffensperger actually said there was only four dead people who claimed to have voted. So it might be six, but I've, I've seen four. I've seen four. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the second question is about Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones, who Fonnie Willis cannot prosecute for being a fake elector or file any charges because after she held a fundraiser for Charlie Bailey, the Democrat who is running for Lieutenant Governor, uh, a judge said that she can't take any part in it. And so kind of put that case over for the prosecuting attorney's counsel uh, to take. Uh, as it stands now, there haven't been any charges filed at all. So I think that's still sort of in stasis. And uh, if some of the fake electors, uh, if 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 she go, decides to go forward with any charges invol- involving those bogus electors, maybe we'll see some action there. Um, but we do know that at least at least eight of the 16 fake electors have taken immunity deals. So we don't expect charges against at least eight of them. And I'd be, I, we'll see. But the focus I've heard over and over again is is going to be primarily on former GOP chair David Schaefer when it comes to that fake elector plot. But again, we're going to soon find those answers out. Speaking of answers, what other questions do we have? Our last question comes from Christian, who asks about 2026. There's been a lot of coverage and talk recently on uh, who's looking to run for the 2026 open governor's race and also the 2026 U.S. Senate race. Um, But I'm wondering who's looking to run for the down-ballot races, namely Attorney General, Lieutenant Governor, and Secretary of State. Thanks so much. Love the show. You know, I swear we don't don't hear these questions beforehand, but that's perfect because since we've already already talked about the governor and Senate, uh, let's talk about the race that we know should likely be open, and that's Attorney General, now that we know Chris Carr is intending to run for governor. And in the jolt earlier this week, we listed a number of names of Republicans and some Democrats who were already looking to run for that job. Uh, The biggest name out there, or some of the biggest Republican names are Jake Evans, who ran for U.S. House last year, lost to Rich McCormick, Bill Couser, the veteran state senator, from the Athens era, who's also the brother-in-law of Governor Brian Kemp, State Senator Brian Strickland, who chairs the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, and Bobby Christine, who is a former U.S. attorney. Uh, that is another name that, that has percolated in recent days. And there's a number of Democrats who could run for that seat as well. And here's a few of those names. The Cav District Attorney Sherry Boston, uh, Macon Judicial Circuit DA Anita Howard, Fulton County Solicitor Keith Gamage, and of course, state senator, former state senator Jen Jordan could run again. Uh, she ran last year and was defeated by Chris Carr. 
Greg, I think you have thoroughly covered <laughs> yeah. that topic. <laughs> and they, you know, I have not heard other names um, pop up for the other dime ballot races. Obviously, if Burt Jones runs, LG would be open. Obviously, Secretary of State will be open. Um, so there is no shortage of ambition in the state capitol. Um, they will have plenty of Democrats and Republicans to run for all of those seats. Patricia, Shaney B., I think now it's time for our favorite segment of the week. Who's up and who's down? Since we always like to end the show on a high note, Patricia, who's your who's down for the week? My who's down for the week? I I don't want to overdo this answer, but I can't. I, I think it's an undisputed who's down for the week is Donald Trump. Indicted for a third time probably going to be indicted for a fourth time. Here in Georgia, he also had his motion to quash the case against him uh, completely rejected. His effort to also oust uh, Judge McBurney didn't go over very well either. McBurney was not yeah. pleased with that. You got a new McBurn for the books. The McBurn for the books. In the numerous new pieces of information that we got in that federal indictment was a quote that Donald Trump gave to Vice President Mike Pence reflected in those contemporaneous notes that the Vice President was apparently keeping and nobody knew about. And now that's probably going to be a big piece of this trial. Um, Donald Trump said to Mike Pence, Mike, you're just too honest. And to me, that is a that is actually a really sad state of affairs. Um, Mike Pence is very honest, but that used to be a good thing. So Donald Trump, you're my who's down this week. Uh, my uh, my, who's down are the court watchers who are on pins and needles as they continue to wait. The folks who are sort of obsessing, uh, who aren't in the media because we're paid to obsess over the things, but the people out there who are, I understand it, who are obsessing over uh, the indictments, but who are still continuing to wait because we've heard since February that these decisions are imminent. And now we're in August and the imminence of this decision. And we're still waiting. I'd say the environment at the courthouse, I talked to a lot of judges and Judicial officials, they're still, it's still fraught, right? Uh, courthouse staffers are working from home. Many of them are. I'm getting calls every day asking how immediate the indictment news is. I'm hearing it from folks all around my neighborhood, all on the streets, everywhere I go. Hey, when, when is this indictment coming? I was at a board meeting for a civic organization that I'm on this morning, and it was the talk of <laughs> the conversation once the meeting ended. I'll say we still have a little bit of breathing room by all accounts, but it won't be long now. And all signs still point to a Trump indictment. Patricia, who's your who's up for the week? My who's up for the week, Greg, is Ian Elmore Moore, an Atlanta businessman. Um, he was the subject of a wonderful article in the AJC by Mirtha Donastorg yes. about the water boys from Atlanta who used to be selling bottles of water at, on street corners. Uh, really dangerous for them, dangerous for the drivers. It was just a terrible situation. Ian Elmore Moore has a foundation and also a mentorship program. He's brought a number of the water boys into that program. They're now learning entrepreneurship and business. They're working at his Italian ice business and really able to learn business in a way and have a role model in a way that they didn't before. And it's just a fabulous story, but also just an incredible program that he's built and it is giving so much back to this community. And so he is my absolute who's up for the week. My who's up for the week is Attorney General Chris Carr. And it's just because of based on the premise that uh, any attention is good attention. And he's gotten a lot of <laughs> attention this week. Not only uh, has he been telling folks and we reported that he intends to run for governor in 2026, but 
Donald Trump's call to Chris Carr way back in 2020, uh, pressuring him to join a Texas lawsuit to invalidate Georgia's election results is getting new attention as well. It was mentioned in the four count indictment against Donald Trump this week. Chris Carr at the time said basically no, and that he he wasn't looking to upset the president. He wasn't looking to rally support uh, opposition to that lawsuit. He just was going, going to join it himself as the chief attorney for the state of Georgia. And so that episode is getting a little bit more attention too, which means Chris Carr is getting a little bit more attention too. And if you subscribe to the theory that any attention is good attention, that that could be a good news week for Chris Carr. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can find links to all the stories we talked about today in the episode summary of this podcast. We release new episodes every Wednesday, every Friday, whenever big news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.